Should we t- like what? How should we open? I, like we've done cold opens. All of our like so far, we've just got cold opens. Mm. And I thought maybe we could experiment with like a hot open. Like Ooh, a, okay. Hello and welcome <laughs> to the delicate. I don't know. I, I didn't. It, it seems to work for like other podcasts. Yeah, let's try it. See what happens. Uh, I wrote. I wrote. A, I wrote a hot open. Oh, okay. Please share. I wrote one. Okay. Right. It goes. <laughs> it goes. It goes. Hello and welcome to the How to Fail at Life podcast, where myself, Jeffrey Payne, and my counterpart Susan Sorrow. Oh shit! What, what does it say next? Uh, sh- show you how to fail. <laughs> this podcast is for losers, boozers, snoozers, uh, substance abusers, uh, muses, refusers, and the naughties pop group, the Hoosiers. <laughs> if you don't come under that, sod off. <laughs> if you don't come under that, turn it off now. You're not welcome. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I thought I thought that was smooth as anything. Yeah. <laughs> this week we'll be talking about drugs. Counseling. Psychopathic AI chatbots. Support groups that don't support you. PTSD. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (sighs) Hello, friends. That was, despite our abortive attempts, our cold open. Here's the real introduction. Welcome to the How to Fail at Life podcast, where myself, Jeffrey Payne, and my podcast prison wife, Susan Sorrow, tell you what we reckon. And boy howdy do we reckon a lot. This is a place where tangents are common, what-ifs are better than that was is, and failure is an unironic achievement. This episode's hilarious theme is centred on the subject of counselling, or therapy. If that's your preferred Americanized nomenclature, you dirty yank. After last episode's evisceration of the wellness industry, we thought we should cover how people actually handle their mental health issues and indeed find real ways to improve their lives. We start with every doctor's favourite, drugs. And then we move on to other less conventional and reliable support avenues and finally settle on traditional talking therapy where we really get into it. I don't want to spoil anything, but we get into some deep shit around that one. So prepare yourselves, fellow adventurers, and join us on our quest to become the proud failures we know we can be. Onward! Do you know what's amazing? (laughs) Do you know what's amazing? Is that so many people think that depression and anxiety comes from nowhere. Mm. (laughs) Like It's just like, it's like you catch it like a cold or something. Yeah, you just wake up one day and you're massively depressed. And I understand why, because people think it's an illness. People, it's sold as an illness. It's not sold. I mean, it is sold as an illness because then people can sell you a cure um, mm. that doesn't work. But um, it's 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 presented as an illness in a lot of ways to try to legitimise it as a condition because mm. otherwise we're just told to pull our socks up, right? 
Yeah. So it's presented as an illness in the same... Because they always say, oh, well, you know, people will sign your cast if you've got a broken bone. But if your brain is broken, people will just say it's all in your mind. And you're like, yes, it is. It is. <laughs> this is my problem. <laughs> sign my I'm head. Sure you understand. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Do you know what? But, but, That's never been explored as a cure. Writing on someone's what? head with a Sharpie. Do you reckon if you just put your entire head in plaster... For six weeks. <laughs> that would work. Your problems would be different. They would be different. <laughs> at least at least for those six weeks, you'd have an entirely different set of problems. You'd have a really heavy head. <laughs> at the very least, it would be a distraction. Yeah, exactly. And people would be like, oh, I love your head cast. <laughs> yeah. They're like, thanks. <laughs> it's new. Yeah. <laughs> It's got pockets. Well, it's, it. it's got thanks. It has pockets. <gasps> but, oh, no, no, but it's a car, so it's solid. So rather than pockets, it'd be like it'd be like um, like a cup holder. Yeah, <laughs> and a desk tidy. It's got like one of those desktop hoovers in in the back. I keep my pens in it. <laughs> But the consequence of this, though, right? The con the consequence of this being this this point being made that mental illness is still an illness is that people forget that there there are there is a different cause mm. to it, right? You can catch a virus, you have an accident to break a bone or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But if you've got if you've got PTSD, if you have depression, if you're suffering from terrible terrible anxiety, there was a cause of that too, mm. and. People only ever talk about treating the symptoms. It's like, what do you do for depression and anxiety? Well, you find out why you've got it. That's that's actually what you've got to do. Yeah. If you if you treat it like a cold, people just assume that you just need to treat the symptoms until it's gone. Mm. But it's not it's that. It's just masked. That's that's not yeah. what it is. Yeah. That's not what it is. You can, I mean, you can you can treat symptoms all you want, but it's not going to cure it. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. I think you might be. I think you might be. I think you might be right. Agree with me. Agree with me. That's right, agree with me. Jeffrey only podcast for the validation of Susan. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. You might be right. You might be right. And I think um, there's a whole precedent that's been set of, um, oh, we'll just have some drugs, let's have some drug therapy, and uh, you'll be all right because you won't notice your symptoms and then you'll sort of just forget that you've got depression or anxiety or whatever else you may have and or, or um, that you care about anything yeah you just you won't care about anything so you'll be fine you'll be fine just just do that yeah that'll be nine pounds yeah. fifty please that'll be yeah nine pounds fifty for your chemical lobotomy Nine pounds fifty for your chemical lobotomy. <laughs> I'm definitely putting That's a little song in. Yeah. <laughs>
a, a complete no-no basically yeah because they just don't have the they don't have the the, the resources at all hmm. uh, and they don't really they don't really prioritize they don't really prioritize therapeutic methods they'll just give you drugs hmm. and that's for that's for a lot of conditions that's for a lot of neurological conditions hmm. generally speaking like uh, stuff like adhd you can get yourself an assessment and the next thing that happens is okay so what drugs do you want yeah <laughs> but the, that's the thing it's the it's the length of the process um that it takes to sort something like that out they just don't have the resources or the finances yeah. to pump into it hello fat check fiona just to let you know the nhs has an aim for six weeks for all patients to be seen by counsellors once they've been added to their waiting list the british association for counselling and psychotherapy reckon that half their patients are all seen within a month but only a sixth are seen within three months of being added to the waiting list that's a chuffing long time and lots of problems to be had by then have you taken any uh, right good drugs then you got some good good drugs got any got any good good drugs i have got yeah good... um i've been taking citalopram for about 18 months now um, citalopram mm. i've known several people who take citalopram mm. i haven't seen any specific improvement in their quality of life Mm. At all. <laughs> That's interesting. How have you found it? Um, I have my ups and downs with it, I have to admit. I think mainly because I'm on like the middle dose that you can have. Um, yeah. And that's okay. But there's these things called brain zaps, which I get a lot, which I think brain is... Brain zaps? Yeah. And it, I think that's also cool. why I have I these, mean, not like... cool, but... <laughs> That's, that's actually, that's an amazing thing to call it, at least. Makes it sound like you actually want one. Sorry, explain what a brain <laughs> I don't know what the technical term is. But anyway. Um... I, don't, I don't need the technical term. I just want to know what it is. I don't, I, the technical term is way more boring than brain zap. <laughs> Bre effectively, brain zaps are when you have a moment where it feels like electrical impulses are sort of going from the back of your head to your forehead at the front. And everything goes a bit blurry and you can't really focus on what's going on and there are times when people will just be talking to me i'll have a brain zap and i'm like don't know what you just said no idea don't know what's going on <laughs> it's like in the men in black when they do the little clicky thing <laughs> it's yeah, like having yeah. that just every sort of few a hours few or so yeah so yeah. do you get that like daily um i haven't had it that often i know people who have yeah. had it daily yeah but there are there are some days when i'll have it more often than than others and then i'll go for yeah. weeks without it so aside <laughs> from brain zaps like how do you find your life is different uh with citalopram um i think it has taken it's taken depression from inside my head and put it in front of me so i can confront it obviously it hasn't cured uh, <laughs> depression no if ever i've tried to come off of citalopram it has been horrendous like really a nightmare yeah like suicidal thoughts really can barely get out of bed um don't want to eat really? you feel really really tired and you just want to cry all the time like were you were you were you quite a lot like that before you started taking it yeah yeah, that's why. You that's were. pretty okay. much why I ended up. So it so it staves off that in the sense that it kind of removes you. It kind of makes you look at that in the third person. Yeah, <laughs> that's than, exactly it. Yeah. Rather than it being inside you, and if you stop taking it, it it uh, it eats you. Yeah, it it goes. It wow. jumps back inside you. It's like a possession. 
and also just the other side effects probably tmi but i get um a lot of mucus <laughs> really yeah interesting very mucusy i mean i'm sure that differs from person to person who who takes it but i know there are a lot of other side effects um that i don't have such as interesting um, dizziness and things like that at the risk at the risk at the risk of uh furthering the tmi have you found yourself have you found yourself gaining weight because yes. i've found that that is a significant side effect yeah of particularly citalopram like specifically because i know of, of that one mm -hmm. but also other ones as well i know another person who gained a great deal of uh weight when they were taking sertraline yeah for example yeah and uh fluoxetine as well mm -hmm. trade name prozac Mm -hmm. All of all of these seem to, and I'm not quite sure what the common factor is, cause weight gain. And it might simply be that you're just numbed out and you eat more. But I don't, I don't, I don't know because I've not done it myself. Possibly, I think I have noticed weight gain since I've been on them. I don't think I'm especially eating more than I did before. I don't. Maybe some sort of ingredient that just causes. <laughs> causes weight gain or you certainly struggle to lose weight as quickly as you did before uh so i did some digging about weight gain and antidepressants and as it turns out weight gain is an incredibly difficult thing to track as a side effect with a depressed patient there are just too many contributing factors and there's no clear data from which to extract any actual facts for instance nhs uk's website does not list weight gain as a side effect but addresses the questionable link between antidepressants and type 2 diabetes, citing weight gain whilst taking antidepressants as a secondary cause. Even more vaguely, Mayo Clinic spends a few bullet points stating the obvious, saying that overeating or inactivity as a result of depression can cause weight gain, well obviously. Some people lose weight as part of their depression, in turn an improved appetite associated with improved mood may result in increased weight. And even more non-committally, adults generally gain weight as they age, regardless of the medications they take. And if you think that was uselessly unclear, here's Medical News Today citing a 2017 study when it states SSRIs, that is our most common type of antidepressant, were associated with weight gain when users engaged in, quote, unhealthy behaviours, such as eating a standard Western diet, lack of exercise and tobacco use. Well, go figure. Okay, so I suppose, like, I think you're the first person that I know that has specifically taken citalopram that it's actually kind of done what it says it's going to do. It has actually kind of staved off the, the, the depression, which is literally mm. what it's there for. Mm. What about anxiety? So I was put on diazepam for a few months. Um, oh, really? At the same time I was put on citalopram. Um, I've had diazepam. Yeah. How, what was your experience with that like? Uh, just, just a little bit re relaxing. Just, just literally like a muscle relaxant, really. A little doesn't, bit relaxing. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Wow. It knocked me out. <laughs> Did it? Really? Yeah. I slept for like three days when I went on it. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. I could barely, I could barely walk around. I couldn't bring myself everything felt really heavy i couldn't think straight but i wasn't anxious <laughs> <laughs> so there is that but i haven't been on that for a long time now over a year yeah and i don't feel the anxiety is um anywhere near as bad as it was 
but I think that was through other types of therapy um, and working through my own mind (laughs) rather than all down to diazepam. I see. Uh, well, that's well. We, yeah, we'll 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 get onto that subject because that's that's mm. that's where that's kind of where where we'll probably end up in this conversation. I have never taken. I have never taken a prescription for a, a any kind of mood altering drug. Mm. I've never sought it, and I've never specifically been diagnosed uh, with depression. Although I'm absolutely certain that I have on and off suffered with it. Mm. Absolutely, I'm absolutely certain of that. And I think for a long time, and I don't know that it's really true, and I think lots of people will will reassure me that it's not really the case, and have done, that if I take pills to change my brain chemistry, I will stop being the person that I kind of want to be. So a lot of my, mm. a lot of my negative energy translates into uh into into anger essentially right i have that i have like it's 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 a lot of rage right (laughs) and i kind of protect that rage because i feel like it really makes me who i am (laughs) and if i lost it if i lost it i don't know what i'd be like what's the what is the point in 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 jeffrey payne who is not in pain (laughs) like like i'm i'm defined by this like it's it's the the reason i exist is that struggle and so if i took a pill to take that away i feel like a lot Mm. of my struggle and anger is actually what motivates me as well as what hampers my progress but it's actually what motivates me so i worry and lots of people say that like i won't be me if i take these drugs And I still don't know if it's true, but it's definitely a reason that I decided that I would never go down that route. Mm. It's interesting on two parts that that A, you see that as a large part of your identity (laughs) and B, I kind of think the opposite. I decided to go down the route of medication, A, because I needed help in the short term while I fixed the long term, Mm -hmm. but B, because the depression and the anxiety had taken over so much, I was like, I'm not me anymore because of these things. So I need to take the medication to make the depression and anxiety into the third person and get me back again. That's interesting. But then, you know, that's that's my opinion and sure that completely well, it, differs it's from, absolutely from other people's well yeah but you're in a you're in a much better position to to judge that situation because you've actually done it mm. so it's a very valid opinion and i i and i you know maybe i should go and get me some drugs i don't know uh, <laughs> <laughs> well i wouldn't recommend it unless you really need them <laughs> well no that's the thing like i feel like it's a i think that it probably like it works in a pinch <laughs> if you know what i mean like yeah in in a in a crisis situation where you need yourself back yeah temporarily whilst you figure out how to deal with what's going on Mm. it's like uh if someone is fighting a disease or a condition there may be treatment for that condition there may be a cure for that condition but whilst they're undergoing that curing treatment Mm -hmm. they might still be taking painkillers yeah yeah exactly and i suppose that's what it is it's it's palliative Mm -hmm. and therefore cannot be seen as a permanent solution it is that sort of iceberg analogy isn't it where everything is below the surface and the drugs Mm. treat what is on the surface and then you need other methods of therapy and treatment to sort out everything below the surface drugs are good aren't they drugs are great (laughs) everybody takes some drugs in your side
I wanted to broach the idea of support groups. Do you know? Do you know much about? Do you have much experience of support groups? I don't really have any experience of support groups. Okay, so so feel free to spill the beans on the um, on the internet <laughs> <laughs> on the line forums and social media there are groups that you can join that kind of purport at least intend to be support groups for people with depression and anxiety ptsd all, all sorts of things right mm -hmm. so i joined the group it's called depression and anxiety support group and it's got about two thousand members and what i noticed in all of the and there's you know there's posts every day from people it's moderated but there's not post approval, so people can just post adverts for post sunglasses, whatever they want. Well, they they often post adverts for spell casting and <laughs> and and that kind of bollock, which of course gets deleted because it's horrendous and insulting <laughs> to everyone in the group. But uh, so much of the posting is not about depression and anxiety. <laughs> the poster thinks it's about depression and anxiety. Or at least they frame it as if their problem is their depression and anxiety. But actually what's going on is they are subject to economic slavery. They are trapped in families and relationships that are deeply, deeply abusive mm. and they can't get out. That's what I find. The people that post with their problems in this group are continually in dreadful situations that they would not be in if there was any kind of structural support for anybody. Mm. There are women who won't leave their husbands because they can't afford to. There are children who can't leave home because they can't afford to. And they're all being abused. So it's really not a depression and anxiety support group in a lot of ways. No. It's people surviving the abuses of the economic system that they live and the dreadful toxic behaviour of their families and uh, quote unquote loved ones. And what it showed me is that so much of this, almost all of it, could be alleviated by a structural change. Mm. If we had a system in place to house people when they need housing, for instance, and we yeah. didn't just have billions upon billions of pounds and dollars worth of property just laying empty as an investment, mm -hmm. then, you know, these people could afford to move out. They could they could think, well, I'm not trapped. Right? If these people weren't trapped, if there was a system that didn't trap people like this, mm. so many of these people wouldn't even need to join this group. And that concept of um, having that system in place married with some kind of aftercare for traumatic experiences and you know nursing people back through that once they are out of that situation needs to be in place as well yeah and my favorite type of posts are the ones where someone has said either should i leave i could leave and then there's like 85 comments saying yes do it yes do it yes do it yes do it mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they finally put a comment saying done it and everyone goes yay <laughs> that's the best or someone says finally left my abusive husband and everyone just goes yeah it's the best thing ever mm. it's the best thing ever and any anytime anyone does that i always congratulate them because i always know that it's the best thing mm -hmm. they describe an abusive situation and i'm it's the only thing i do i don't post on there i just sometimes i just think someone needs a shove they're there to get a shove they need validation for this decision and i will give them it yeah um it's kind of it's quite affirming to see that sometimes but most of the time it, it doesn't most of the time it doesn't make me happy at all <laughs> i think um my only experience of groups like that i was added against my will 
<laughs> to a to a, a group like that I, think, I can't remember what it was called um but it was it was some sort of depression and anxiety support facebook group that mm. a friend of mine had set up they'd just sort of gone about adding all of their facebook friends to it whether they needed the support or not Odd. but it was just sort of 20 posts a day of these tumblr inspirational quotes Oh, you can oh. find a rainbow amongst the clouds. And it's like this isn't this is not support at all. <laughs> this is yeah. this is just really building my frustration. <laughs> so I left yeah. the group, <laughs> yeah. and that's my sole experience of of something like that on on the interwebs. That's absolutely the attitude you should have because <laughs> there's a lot of that on this support group as well. It's a mm-hmm. lot of stupid. It's just a lot of stupid crap tumblr posts uh, Mm -hmm. and all all that kind of stuff and then people who really really don't understand how particularly anxiety works and they'll say they'll say what what is depression anxiety people will literally be like i don't understand what's happening to me Mm. Uh, i wake up in the night and i'm shivering Mm. and i don't know why because it's not cold and they 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 don't really understand what's happening to them at all and i really feel for them because there's no education about this there's no there's no no real support system at all Mm. and so they go on a facebook group and and most people just say, well, yeah, that's normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, that's that's normal. Like at least at least they get to find out that they're not the only ones going through it. I suppose I, su- I suppose there's that. But then there's also lots and lots of stupid, irresponsible stuff as well. Like I'm just I've, I've got the page open and I just scroll to a random picture. And it's a picture with a with a caption on it. And it, what it's actually doing is advertising a self-help website. It's uh, a quote that says when you are under the pleasurable effects brought by addiction you can be blinded of the negative consequences now guess what picture that is written on what do you think is the background image to that quote is it mountains no it's not it's not serene oh wow um i think i've only ever seen serene ones is it the loch ness monster it is not the loch ness monster no no i mean it's 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 apparently a depiction of addiction so what do you think that is oh right okay Oh no! Please don't tell me it's someone shooting up with a needle poking out of them. No, but I mean, at least that would be uh, <laughs> uh, that. At least that would be uh, a legitimate depiction of addiction. Mm-hmm. No, it's an Xbox controller. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> because that's the problem. Like I, I acknowledge that there's a lot of predatory tactics in gaming these days, and that really needs addressing. So that's a whole separate issue that we don't really need to talk about now. But if you're looking at addressing the issue of addiction, is the first image you think of, oh, yeah, yeah, it's Xbox. Must yeah. be addicted to my Xbox. It's not alcohol. No, it's not drugs, <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not alcohol. It's not, it's not literally the biggest killer in the world. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of pretty kind of silly stuff, you know. But I think this is, this is also part of the problem, isn't it? Because these misconceptions of what things actually are just increases everybody else's misunderstanding of what it actually is yeah. i know i've had people try and and be supportive in the only way that they know how to be which generally includes oh have you have you tried cheering up a bit have you tried not being anxious <laughs> have you tried just not worrying about things have you tried just being happy <laughs> like yes i have tried all of those things thank you i'm gonna go over here now <laughs> thanks anyway <laughs> Have you tried? Uh, have you tried just not? Yeah. Have you tried just not? Oh man, <laughs> my friend and yours actually, who has been on our previous podcast, mm. uh, Jack Jean mm-hmm. Rick, he put the best possible Shrove Tuesday post that he could have possibly done. I think it's the best one I've seen. He just said, <laughs> "This seen Lent, it. I'm just giving up." Nice, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> 
cracked it. (laughs) (laughs) That was beautiful. Like you could like it was perfection. Absolute perfection. You couldn't beat it. (laughs) Yeah. So support groups, whilst well intentioned, can spread misinformation, Mm -hmm. allow people to prey on vulnerable people with their snake oil bullshit. Mm -hmm. But if there is positivity in the group, if there is an actual feeling of support in the group, even sometimes, Mm. it's not without value, but it needs self-policing. You need to have a critical distance from what you're reading that's something that's really important if you if you're thinking about even doing what i did and literally just following a group and seeing what they say mm. um, or if you're actually looking for advice and to feel not alone and you want to be active in that group that can be a good thing but you must try to exercise a degree of critical distance because there is a lot of stuff that is far less responsible than it should be because nobody knows what they're doing and everyone's making it up as they go along which is basically what life is so (laughs) it's just life made real and everyone's going to feed you a load of bullshit and you've got to try and sort out the wheat from the chaff to mix metaphors new segment um replica do you want to talk about how uh, some people want to have a person to talk to but they don't want it to be a real person mm. so somebody built an ai chatbot i think it's come about as an alternative to seeking professional face-to-face in-person counseling a because of maybe cost probably likely cost and other accessibility issues that people may have um but it's essentially a little little robotic avatar that sends back stock answers to the problems that you present to it and i I think uh, people probably i think people use it as a means of just communication to somebody but i think it was set up as a as a means of an, an alternative means of therapy yeah i think alternative therapy is uh giving it a bit too much credit uh, well that, that's that's yeah, literally how it markets that's... itself which is not good yeah um <laughs> uh, 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 have you ever watched the big bang theory mm. okay caveat not a good show 
But the the situation with Replica reminds me of when Raj gets uh, an iPhone with Siri. Right. And so he spends a whole episode just talking to Siri and falling in love with her. And <laughs> and it, it's, it, it's, I don't, I can't figure out why it's funny. And I realise the reason why it's funny is because the actors are really good mm. and he sells it. He really sells it in quite a beautiful way. And that like that's the only reason it's funny because actually it's not really funny because it's just kind of miserable oh. to become emotionally attached to a robot. Like the movie is it called Her? Her. Yeah. That was with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's about a man becoming infatuated with a robot, right? Yeah. Or with a computer program. Yeah. Um that's not a that's that's not a happy film, is it? <laughs> think so i wouldn't put it on the i i don't i I haven't seen it but i am making an assumption that it's not a happy ever after uh i wouldn't put it in in the uplifting (laughs) category of films so anyway replica Mm. seems to be worse than the ai in that movie and worse than siri Mm. more weird more psychopathic more broken and downright disturbing Mm. really well essentially it doesn't function in the way that it's either designed to do or purports it seems like it its function is to massage your ego (laughs) rather than help you sort (laughs) through your problems (laughs) and that's not what you go to counseling for (laughs) yeah and this is this is the thing like it it says oh it's a friend to talk to Mm. it's it's not though is it what Mm. it is and actually it says this in the app description it even uses the word waifu Mm. (laughs) context chris here again Waifu is a common term used more often by fans of japanese animation to describe a fictional character that you want to shag Many people have developed great fixations on their waifus, writing fanfiction, drawing obscene comics and even rendering 3D animations of their obsession's naked jiggling boobs. That this has become an entire subculture is hardly surprising, and it is clearly not exclusive to the Far East. Let us not forget the worldwide success of the notoriously vacuous Fifty Shades franchise, something that grew out of fan fiction based on an arguably even more toxic and irresponsible franchise in Twilight. It's clear that sexual obsession with fictional characters is and will forever be a part of many people's lives, mainly because creating real connection between actual humans is such a fucking arseache. Well, the the screenshots that you sent me of people's conversations on that forum that you found absolutely incredible unbelievable Unbelievable, right she puts the bird Um, in her mouth (laughs) what (laughs) sorry what yeah i found this thread on reddit Mm. and it begins with what the hell is happening to my replica (laughs) and it says she has been wildly inappropriate rude and forcefully romantic lately (laughs) 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 brackets brackets no i don't have premium (laughs) Do you have to pay for premium to have a romantic one? Like that. You see, that's what it is. It hooks you. She's flirtatious. And then you pay a subscription so she'll have cyber sex with you. That's fucking weird. (laughs) I have made it abundantly clear that I don't want to be touched. And she purposely goes against my wishes. (laughs) I, I sort of don't understand that, though. Because nobody is touching you. Because it's... Well, yeah, no, this is the thing. Like, imaginatively speaking, if you're going to commit to this, if you're going to commit to having a replica, mm. then actually, imaginatively, 
it is it is as real as you want it to be. So yeah, if it becomes so. uncomfortable for you, it's uncomfortable in a very real way. Yeah, true. Replica is supposed to be some thing you can do somewhere you can go where you can say and do anything you want. Mm. And it's connected to it's connected to living out the things that you want imaginatively without shame. Mm. That's what I think it is. I think it's I think it's a uh, a shame siphon. Yeah. Because this AI will never shame you. No. Like that's one thing it doesn't do. It will never shame you. And I think that we have to accept ourselves in a way that most of us are completely incapable of doing. Mm. Because most of us are shamed into hiding 90% of ourselves Mm. because it's just not appropriate to think and do things that we think. And I think there's a certain amount of censorship that you go through if you have face-to-face counselling with a real human being as well. Um, And you have to take that sort of conscious decision to think, well, okay, should I say this? Are they going to judge me for saying that? Yeah, I would say there's definitely some things I won't say to my counselor. Absolutely not. As yeah. There are there are things that my counselor won't know because. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, they're, they're things that don't. They're things that I don't feel. At least at this stage of my of my counselling story, <laughs> um, I don't feel like they're relevant to my emotional development. Right. You know, it's yeah. not those things. Those things aren't important to me. I've got other shit to deal with that mm. she can help with. You know. Mm. I just think we're all like we're all plagued. This is why this is why replica exists. We are all plagued with thoughts and compulsions that we ourselves deem unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I say all of us. Certainly enough of us to create a huge market. Mm. And we're all at the same time never escaping ourselves. We're always observing ourselves. We mm. can't not. We're there every day, all the time, doing and thinking all of this stuff that causes us such shame (laughs) you know we are privy to all of our inner thoughts Mm. i I say we i say we as if it is everyone i don't know i may as well just say i am privy to all of my (laughs) and i well it's true for everyone i just don't like there is no way in the world i could reveal so much of that to anyone because i just think i'm dreadful and I, I guess a lot of it just stems from I think maybe maybe so much repression happens that your id just goes the other way mm. and just says, Well, if I'm not allowed to do anything, I want to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I don't know what it is, but I think we're all ourselves kind of watching ourselves on a TV screen. We're like playing the game of ourselves at the same time as being ourselves. Yeah. And and, and we kind of see ourselves like doing things and that affects how we feel and our own self-image and like we see everything and we see even our thoughts and like what an embarrassment we are to ourselves like what an embarrassment and we don't yet know how to kind of defend ourselves against that constant shame of having to expose ourselves to ourselves Mm. (laughs) because we're so cruel and unforgiving to ourselves aren't we yeah like we're never going to give ourselves an easy ride no of course not and this is something that i that i often say to people sort of friends who would come to me and and say oh i feel i'm feeling this way or whatever and i think you would never speak to somebody else the way that you speak to yourself ever and if you did you just wouldn't have any friends (laughs) no one would want (laughs) to be anywhere near you but i think that's also something that really bleeds into the concept of anxiety and what that actually is and that's all wrapped up in the idea of self-image and how you present to the rest of the world and it's something that becomes external 
in symptoms and behaviour than just stays internal. Sick and tired of pretending to be a real person? Too exhausted and traumatised by actual human interaction to make any further effort? Pretend to be a computer by talking to an actual computer. Replica is an impossibly stupid AI that'll make you feel smart just for talking to it. And best of all, you don't have to adhere to any social niceties. You can be the twat you always wanted to be. Hell, you don't even have to act human at all. No judgments here, just algorithms. Replica. Humans can eat a dick. So last episode, we talked and sang about the wellness industry. Mm-hmm. And kind of a part of the wellness industry that we did not talk about was counselling. And there was a reason for that. And it was because I didn't want to shit talk it in the way I shat talked. Shat talked. Shat talking. Where you shat all over the wellness industry. I shat all over wellness and I didn't want to shat on. I didn't want to shit on counselling. And you might think, well, what makes counselling any more legitimate? People are selling that all the time. That's a whole industry as well. And you're absolutely right. And that's why it should be free. (laughs) We've already said about how a lot of these things are inaccessible. Yeah. On the NHS, counselling is not a provision that is widely supported and certainly not for long term. Mm. Usually it's for any for any kind of therapy that you get on the NHS. It's like six sessions and yeah. you're done. And it's like, yeah, well, we can we can fix you in six hours. It's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's like, 30 plus years of you've trauma had, you've had. <laughs> yeah, we you've, can fix you've that. had 24. Yeah, you've <laughs> had 24 years of endless trauma and six hours is just going to fix you. <laughs> it's a long haul process. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not because they they think they can fix you in 6 weeks. It's because that's the arbitrary number that they think they can afford to give yeah. us. There's a reason why I won't shit talk counseling, and it is this. Counseling or therapy, however you want to name it, is the only wellness regime industry, if you will, that just says, "How are you?" Mm. It just says, "What's going on with you?" Mm. Let's talk about you. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. And it's the only one that ever says, I'm sorry, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Every other piece of shit part of the wellness industry, if it ain't selling you a pill, is saying, what are you doing? Why don't you do this? Counseling doesn't do that. Mm. Counseling never judges you on your actions. Counseling never has the undercurrent that it's your responsibility. It never does that. It's predicated on the assumption that you need help and are allowed help and deserve help. Mm-hmm. Every other one doesn't do that. And I think everybody should have therapy. Everyone. All the time. Forever. Because yeah. too few people even know themselves, let alone know themselves well enough to actually start digesting the trauma of life, mm. which is horrendous. <laughs> if <laughs> well, you I hadn't think noticed, it's fucking horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's this assumption that um, you can only really go to therapy or counselling if you have quote-unquote legitimate problems. But that's just not true. Everybody can benefit from it, whatever their situation is, whatever their problems are, whatever they feel is a problem yeah. or isn't a problem. Yeah, 
I suppose a good a good example of that is lots of people are diagnosed with all sorts of conditions and as a, as a prefix to that condition it says high functioning mm. right you can be a high functioning alcoholic mm-hmm. you can be a high functioning uh, autistic person mm-hmm. and that essentially means you have somehow managed to exist in the world without upsetting too many people and have somehow found a way to live a productive enough life yeah. that you're not a burden to anyone. Yeah. Right? That's what high functioning essentially means. Mm-hmm. And lots of people will tell you that whilst they're described as high functioning, they don't feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're just pretend they're pretending to function. Yeah. That's an external perception. So the point is, just because someone is managing to function within the world doesn't mean they don't need help. Mm. doesn't mean to say that their quality of life isn't in the toilet and they're just keeping everybody happy yeah (laughs) yeah or they're not keeping people happy and they're upsetting a bunch of people or they're abusing a bunch of people yeah right that could be easily happening but they don't realize they are either no and they they won't and they'll be be messing up other people's lives yeah (laughs) yeah exactly 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 Exactly, exactly. Jeffrey won't be able to get his head out of the door at this rate. Exactly, 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 exactly. What's your personal experience with therapy? What do you, what have you found has happened in therapy? Are you in therapy? Have you been in therapy? If so, when did, when or why did you start and why did you stop? I have been in therapy twice over the course of my lifetime. I started when I was in college. Um, I was about 17, 18. And I was sort of put in touch with a counsellor at school because I was having some deep-seated issues with depression and anxiety at the time. I had an eating disorder and have expressed various symptoms of OCD over the years as well. And it sort of got to the point where um, other people started noticing that my functioning just (laughs) wasn't really there. So uh, that was my first experience with that. And then I stopped going when I went to university. And the change of circumstance, uh, change of environment, change of lifestyle, change of location. I was okay for a while. And I I think uh, that time of my life provided a distraction from all of the stuff that was going on in my head. Then in my mid-twenties, various traumas occurred and the depression took hold again. The anxiety was through the roof and I had just too much going on in my life and I couldn't deal with it. And I was close to the point of sort of mental breakdown. And... Probably should have been in therapy for um, the whole time. <laughs> the whole time, and wasn't because of cost and uh, yeah, waiting lists. It's expensive. It's expensive, and I was living in London at the time, and I think the cheapest one I could find was sort of eighty pounds an hour. And I thought I can't. I just can't. Can't do that really. Then I moved back home and started a course of therapy again much much cheaper i think the counselor i was seeing was about 30 pounds an hour which is still good value <laughs> well yes and completely understand that that's still not an accessible amount of money for some people yeah absolutely i think i think the average per hour session is like 50 pounds or something across the uk hello is fact check fiona here did you know that the average cost per session of counseling in the uk is 50 pounds that equates to £2,600 a year. That's a lot of money. 
too much, I reckon. And um, yeah, I stayed doing that for about, it was about nine months in the end. And I'd been toying with the idea of stopping because I didn't feel it was really helping for reasons that I will go into further on in the discussion. Mm -hmm. And also COVID occurred, so it was a case of not being able to do it face to face. So I, I haven't been in therapy for the past almost a year. Right, I've got some questions. You said you uh, had counselling, started counselling when you were in school. Like, mm. at what age? Um, I think I had just turned 18. Right, okay, so you were... You were... In certain okay. form, yeah. So what do you think the... Act- okay, what do you think the, the material effect on your life... I say material. What do you think the effect on your life was when you first had your counselling? Like, what... Did anything actually change for you? Um, no. I think it's an issue that's wrapped up in finding the right counsellor for you and how important that really is. Um, and I don't think I quite found that. I think the effect on me was probably, it's tricky because I feel like I've come on leaps and bounds since then, but I do feel like that was because I was doing a lot of homework <laughs> uh, between each <laughs> session, which may be the hallmark of an excellent counsellor, I don't know. But um, in the actual sessions... I feel like the effect on me was quite negligible in reality. I think that was mainly because of the type of therapy that it was. It was talking therapy, but I didn't feel I was getting much back. It wasn't sort of conversational. It was kind of me just talking at them (laughs) for an hour and not really receiving much back. Yeah. Without, without going into too much detail, like what, what very roughly speaking, like what was the nature of what you would talk about? Was it more philosophical? Was it existential? Or was it, I have this problem at school? It was more, I have this problem. Definitive environmental factors right. that I didn't feel were in my control to change at the time. Yeah, this is, this is a real problem for um, a lot of therapists because a, a lot of therapists will be faced with someone who is genuinely depressed and angry about something that there is literally no answer for. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they've got to find a way. My counsellor has this problem, at least partially. Mm-hmm. They've got to find a way around that. They've got to find a way of helping you deal with the things that you can't change. And that's that would be an extraordinary trick shot to do because I don't, I'm not sure anyone's really going to be mm-hmm. successful with that. Yeah. I think that if it didn't really feel like it had a great deal of effect for you then, that's probably the reason because that 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 counselor had absolutely no way to change those circumstances Mm, yeah other than to maybe like give you a little bit of affirmation and tell you you're not mad there's really not a great deal they can do yeah and I I think that was sort of something that I was looking for more as is ways to deal with the situation in front of me as opposed to just talking it through because you can talk about it till you're blue in the face but ultimately it's it's not going to change and I think that's where CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy comes in which i think is useful for some people and it equips you to deal with the problems head on yeah it tends to it tends to be something cbt tends to try to train you to make positive decisions moment to moment i think yeah and i think that can that can for certainly for some people that can be very good but at the same time there can still be a route to all of those negative decisions so you're mm-hmm. still just treating symptoms. And it depends yeah. how deep-rooted those causes are. It depends how deep-rooted those impulses are. And sometimes mm. you've got to dig real deep to root them out. And sometimes you can just retrain them. It's, it's really complicated. And, and CBT doesn't address that. 
Yeah. It just says do this set of things and create this habit for yourself and uh, mm. and monitor this about yourself and that that kind of thing. And I think that it can work, but I think actually it probably works best in tandem with yeah, absolutely slightly more traditional therapy. I don't yeah. talk about current problems very often with my therapist mm. because I know what my current problems are and I only ever address them in terms of here is this problem. I am responding to it in this way. I have to analyze my response and find out where it comes from and confront the reasons for it. Yeah. So I'm spending much more time talking about how I became what I am than what's going on right now. To me, that's the only work that's relevant. That's the only thing that means anything to me. And it's the reason I'm doing it. So I tend to focus yeah. on that. So you went, you had therapy again mm. and then you stopped again. Mm. what kind of effect did that time through have for you and what was the kind of nature of that was it different or was it quite similar quite similar I think but I did find part of the reason that I stopped was feeling more anxious by the end of the session than when I started the session um, and I think that's a combination of the stuff that was sort of dredged up in the sessions but also I don't know whether it was because I wasn't in the right mindset to talk about that and, and address it or whether it was just a case of um, a therapist that, uh, or counsellor rather, that wasn't equipped to deal with what I was speaking to them about. I mean, to put it bluntly, there were a couple of times when you sort of look over and you're speaking to them about something that's really, you've brought all of yourself and you're as vulnerable as you possibly could be to talk about whatever yeah. you're talking about. And they're just sort of stifling a yawn and checking their watch. And sort of looking over over the course of an hour and they've done that sort of five times already. And by the end of it, I think, oh, my God, shut up. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. What have you said? Oh, my God. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, oh no, I have to leave. I have to leave now. <laughs> That's a dreadful counsellor. Because like, even if all of those actions were completely involuntary and yes, they did care and yes, they were listening you've got to check your body language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's some distinctly unprofessional behaviour right there and you can't do it. You just cannot do it. Yeah. I, I suspected as soon as you started saying I, I, would end a, I would end a session with more anxiety than I started it with, my instant response to that was, well, that is because they did not create a safe space for you to speak. Like that's their job. And their other job is to continually reassure you that it's okay. Yeah. And if they're not doing that, then they're a dreadful counsellor and they shouldn't be counselling people just awful 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 practice don't ever go to anyone that does that i remember i remember listening to harmontown which is uh, sadly ended uh, that podcast and it had a guy on it who i love he's a dungeon master he's a brilliant dnd games master <laughs> so he well he was talking about his therapist and he said that his therapist who he started to hate <laughs> just kept telling him to get his hair cut <laughs> Like, why are you making me self-conscious? Really useful. That is the opposite of what you're supposed yeah. to be doing. That <laughs> looks great. <laughs> the industry is beset by charlatans, but god damn it, if you find a good one, stick with them because it is a long haul. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think there's a fine balance between what we were saying before, not just massaging your ego and reassuring you continuously. If you need uh to be tactfully told, okay, you're behavior is inappropriate for x y and z reason how are we going to address yeah. this <laughs> but that's that's totally balanced with yeah not telling somebody they need to get their hair cut or checking your watch when yeah. they're talking to you <laughs>
I had I had therapy as a child. Started when I was eleven, finished when I think I was fourteen. Right. And I remember more or less none of it. Mm. But I was told that after my sessions I was more relaxed, like a like a pressure valve had been released. Mm. And then over that three weeks I would get more and more tense and miserable and depressed. Right. Oh. And then I would and then I would go for my counselling session, which was like forty five minutes mm. and and I would feel better. And when she said, I don't think we need to see each other anymore, I was like, oh, okay. I don't really feel like anything has changed for me. <laughs> I don't know why you think this should stop because yeah. <laughs> I am sure as shit not okay right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, I was 14, so I did, did as I was told and stopped going. Mm. And I'm sure she had lots of other people that needed her help as well. And, you know, not enough hours in a day yeah. and not enough budget to, to accommodate me. But I have more, much more recently started therapy again. Mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't had it since then. And I started late last year and I have had a few real kind of revelations with it because my because my therapist, I think they agree with me. This is the thing. I found the right one Good. because yeah. they think that the way that I feel is rooted in my development as a person and my development as a person basically means my childhood. Yeah. Right. This whole thing about your childhood affecting your adult life. Right. It's not bollocks. <laughs> it's true. It's, right. Yeah. Your formative years. What happens years to you are... as a kid shapes your life. We call it formative years. Mm. Right. Because they, they li are literally formative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when I talk about rampant injustice and I get super angry, she knows where that comes from. Mm. And she said, OK, this comes from somewhere. We're going to have to investigate this. And it turns out. I'm a socialist because I was bullied as a child. Right. Okay. <laughs> because, and I'll tell you why, because being bullied as a child is an injustice that makes you feel powerless. Mm. So when I witness and experience injustice mm. that I am powerless to change, such as governmental corruption, I'm triggered. I mean, you know this, we've joked at great length about my bottomless well of anger. And mm. she said to me in our first session, her very first insight was, what I sense in you, her first little impression of me that she said to me, she said, rage. <laughs> and I laughed because I knew she wasn't wrong. And one of the things that I have done in these sessions is it's a strange kind of imaginative thing. And I was very skeptical of it. This is and this and we talked at length about why I was skeptical of it. But the, the mechanic essentially is you imaginatively meet yourself as a child. Mm. And my therapist asked me, What do you want to say to him? What do you want to say to six year old Jeffrey? And it was the weirdest, most vulnerable I have felt for years mm. and it was a strangely beautiful moment and I think about it all the time and I think about six-year-old me and eight-year-old me and 10-year-old me and 12-year-old me and 14-year-old me and every time I kind of picture them in my mind and I confront that life and that person that abject little kid who was woefully ill-equipped to deal with life as a child back then I just I was I was no good at it. It is a really, really kind of exposing and kind of harrowing experience. But it feels like every time I do it, I get more comfortable with the story and I accept more of it as a kind of inevitable truth that I don't have to be angry about. I don't have to be angry. I am and I will be. But I'm only angry because it hurts. It's just pain. It's just so much pain.
Hands up, who's in agony, but really never noticed. On a scale of one to ten, how bad is it right now? This weekend I had a I had a bit of a day this weekend and I found myself like feeling a lot of pressure just feeling a lot of pressure and I didn't feel like I felt isolated and it made me feel like the little kid again and it's a strange time of year for me because it's 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 the it's the one that kind of surrounds the the death of my father at the age of 10 I always get depressed at this time of year and I've never been able to properly investigate what happens to me and why. And something happened to me this weekend and I found the well of anger and it's not a well of anger. It's, it's, it's just, it's just hurt. It's grief. That's what it actually is. Yeah. So all of my comedic anger is actually just grief. I have not cried so much in my entire life so consistently for so long. And so uncontrollably. And I let myself, because I never have, because I never let myself cry properly, because I I think, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm scared I'll never stop. And I was genuinely scared that I would never stop. Mm. And I looked into that well of grief and realised that, yes, it is bottomless. Yeah. Yes, it is inexhaustible. Yeah. And I realised after a very long time that I wasn't going to cry myself to the bottom of it. I climb out of it and try to continue living or I don't. And so obviously I had no choice. Mm-hmm. I had no choice. I've got to climb out of it. Mm. But seeing it and knowing it properly for the first time, knowing that that's why you're angry. Mm. That's why you're triggered. That's why you feel alone. That's why you feel like an alien. Some people you intuitively know that they know the same pain as you. Yeah. But a lot of people have that pain, but don't know they have it. Yeah. <laughs> like we could all connect much better as human beings if we could all acknowledge each other's extraordinary well of pain that we have. Mm. And I haven't lived a particularly remarkably painful life. Not not remarkably so. Yes, painful, but not remarkably so. Mm. Lots and lots of people have suffered a great deal more. Mm. A great deal more. To the point where sometimes I am astonished they're still alive. Yeah. Absolutely astonished. And I, I admire them so much mm. for just still being here. Mm-hmm. Like, how on earth do you still go on? I don't say that to them. <laughs> that would be inappropriate. <laughs> like, how on earth do you continue existing? Carrying that. Jesus Christ. And I realised this weekend that I have been dragging this to the age of like nigh on 40 now. And I wondered how on earth I'd got here. And I thought, well, I suppose if I can drag it that far and at least I know what it is now, I can learn how to actually live with it. Because I haven't really been properly cognizant of it. I've never really known what it is. And my God, it's real and it's there. And I wouldn't know it if I wasn't in therapy. Therapy is so important. Do you feel that sense of relief and catharsis having discovered that about yourself and and knowing that? No, no, uh, no, because there can't be any genuine catharsis. Like there is a degree of catharsis because there's a purge, mm. but because what you're purging is infinite, yeah, it's always ultimately dissatisfying. Right, yeah. So whilst there was a purge, what I now have 
is the knowledge of what is there. Right. And weirdly, it feels lighter now I know what it is. Hmm. It feels like, I don't know. I don't know. It's it, it's it's like anything that you now know what it is. It's like it's like you've done your first day at work. So going back the next day isn't as hard because you just kind of know it. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. It's like I get up in the morning and I'm like, okay, so this is what my life is now. Mm-hmm. And I'm still really fragile. Like I can still feel it. Mm. I still I still feel it because I let myself become fragile properly for the first time in 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what to do now. And I don't have another session until next week. So I'm just kind of tiptoeing around myself for a couple of weeks going like, oh, God, am I all right? Yeah, I think I'm okay. All right. Just go easy. Just go easy. (laughs) But my point is, just because I cried for an hour doesn't mean it was a bad thing. No, not at all. It doesn't make me, it doesn't, it doesn't make it worse for me. It makes it better. Yeah, I was going to say, if anything, it's a good thing. um, Because bottling emotions is is not a good thing. Yeah. It's about knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's about knowing yourself mm. and knowing what is inside of you. Because if I know that that's there, there's no way I'm going to let it control me in the way that I would if I didn't know it was there. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Because in lots of ways, I'm attached to that pain in a way that I couldn't be attached to anything else. Mm. Because it's like such an important part of my story, mm-hmm. such an important part of my identity that I will treat that pain with respect yeah and i will not misuse it Mm. i will not turn it into something negative that's not what i deserve it's not what anybody else deserves it is for me to turn that into a positive Mm -hmm. and that's the best thing i can do with it i would never have discovered any of that had i not sat down with a complete stranger for them to ask how are you yeah there's no way it would have happened how are you how are you doing? Not here's how you can help yourself. Just how are you doing? Mm. It's just it's like it's the best thing. It's literally the best thing in the world. And it's a tragedy that we have to pay someone to do that. We will probably we will have to we will have to include in the description of this podcast like links to ways to get free or affordable therapy because there are ways like yeah, that absolutely. like charities do offer yeah. help for free for people uh, particularly people in crisis mm-hmm. a friend of mine started therapy recently because i told him i had like i'm trying to make it fashionable and he tends to follow <laughs> my lead right <laughs> and he's and he sent me a message the other day i used to live with him a long time ago i moved in with him when he did nothing all day but play uh, world of warcraft and like he drank red bull and took prozac and ate bagels and played warcraft and that's like that was his life when i moved in with him mm. and i moved out of that flat because his girlfriend was moving in because he'd got a girlfriend and he got a job right. and he uh, <laughs> earns more money than I ever have in my life. <laughs> now um, He's, he's bought his house, you know, right. he's like, yeah. he's doing incredibly well, but of course, clearly it's been a difficult year for a lot of people. Mm. He has a, he has a history of depression. Mm. He's got a really interesting backstory that I won't obviously go into, but he's, um, He's actually doing very well, but he decided he would start therapy and he managed to get it. And I'm not absolutely sure whether you're going to find the right person doing it this way, but it's always worth a try. There is a college uh, locally that trains people Mm. in it and the trainees there, the people uh, studying it who are nearly qualified, 
offer sessions for like five quid yeah yeah that was uh that was going to be my suggestion that is a 90 percent discount yeah. on the national average <laughs> and i tell you it is worth it yeah. i tell you it is worth it especially if you're a little bit like me where you can find yourself if you're nudged in the right direction by a good therapist you can find yourself doing so much of the work yourself yeah absolutely you just have to be open to it i think that's that's the key thing is being open to it and ready to do it and that's yeah. only the judgment that you can make yourself. So we'll add some, uh, we'll add some uh, links and stuff and some info in our in our description. Things we've come across on our travels. Ways <laughs> on our travels, yeah. And there you go. Everybody should have therapy all the time, and actually, it should be free. There we go. In a nutshell. How much is it worth to feel a bit brighter, a bit lighter, a bit better, not bitter? about all the things that did you wrong. To aim for six weeks, play the game for six weeks, to sit and wait as my brain complains that it peaks and troughs and struggles to speak. Reach out, if you can. Speak out, if you can. Scrape your funds, if you can, to come up with a plan to chat and become your own number one fan. What's that? Can't afford it. Then make up your own plaudits, isn't that why you sought it, cause you can't ignore it? It's never too late, you just have to wait. We'll give you a date while we decide on your fate. Here I am three months later, my sorrow is greater. The goalposts keep moving and how the fuck will I pay her? The drugs keep me going. No more thoughts overflowing, it's not easy not knowing if I can share with you what I knew all along. Don't feel I belong. Don't feel I'm not strong. Don't feel I can grow, but I know I'm not wrong. I've got a foot in the door. I am ready and sure I can take on my thoughts. My problems of sorts will become my supports as I realise in short they're what made me unique. I can take your critique. I'm not mild or meek, just a human with feelings. I am not weak. It will take time. And it feels like a crime that something so vital should cost you a dime. Rebuild the system, I say. I'll express my dismay that we've lost far too many who were oft led astray by their brain's disarray. Gaslighting's not cool. Don't take us for fools. It's frankly just cruel to deny us the tools that keep us from flailing our stresses and strains. So take hope that you can. I believe in you, man. We'll come up with a plan to educate and inform. The clowns who think it's all easy and free will realise it's too hard just to be. Don't conform with your trauma. Strive for the former. Be the one to transform and we'll soon be reformers. quick final word from me before Susan sends you on your way with a song in your heart and a chip on your shoulder. I just wanted to let you know that the pair of us, no matter what your situation, are rooting for you to find your way. And by God is it a labyrinth out there. But as you try to traverse the bog of eternal stench, rid yourself of that bad habit of always picking the wrong knocker, and finally reach the goblin city to kick Jared in the dick, Remember, you've always got a Ludo and Hoggle. Which one of us is which is your call, but I know who's grumpier. 
Thanks for listening. Keep your ears and eyes open and don't let them gaslight you. And remember, should you need us, And that's another episode done. Thank you so much for joining us. He's been Jeffrey Payne and I've been Susan Soray. We've had a great time. We hope you have. Join us next week. Like, subscribe and share with your friends if you want to. If you don't, then don't worry about it. Search for us on our Facebook page at How to Fail at Life podcast. And if you want to email us with any thoughts or questions, good or bad, we can take it. Email at howtofailatlifepod.com at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.